right, church. Fantastic, fantastic, amazing words, amazing songs. Amen. Uh, we're going to start off in, in Ezra chapter 9 this morning. Uh, we've got a reading on verses 1 through 15. Um, and then we'll, we'll take from that and see what the Lord is telling us through that. And then we will navigate through this. One of the uh, most profound things to me about this, uh, as I had a few pieces of commentary laid on my desk this, uh, or last week, rather, um, on this scripture by a friend, a brother, and um, it, it, it really sparks, uh, caused me to want to, to preach through this, and um, really in, inspired me um, in the way that it, it, it caused me to, to realize that, that sometimes we, we may believe that that, that the sin of others is is more grievous than the sin of ours. Do, do we know that to be true, church? That's the way we think. But it's not true. Because all of our sin, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the scripture tells us, doesn't it? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so let's let's ask the Lord for some help. God, we, we, we come to you, Lord, humbly. We ask you to help us this morning, Father. Help me, Father. Help me to proclaim the gospel, your word, Father, to your people. That we would hear and believe the truth about you. God, help us with that truth. Help us to navigate through our thoughts and emotions and our past. To see clearly, Lord, what's right in front of us. To see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezra chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and I pulled hair from my beard or from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord, my God, saying, Oh, my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt and for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. 
Now, mind you, church, what we're reading here is we're reading a confession, are we not? We're reading a confession. We're reading the confession from a contrite heart, a man who yearns for his people, who loves his people, and who knows that he is not separated out from his people. Yes, their people are supposed to be separated out from the world as God separates out his people from the world, that we aren't supposed to mingle with the world. But he is one with his people. And when he feels and sees the sin of his people rising even higher than their heads, he includes himself in that and says, we have done this. We have. Isn't that a strange thing to us today in America? To include ourselves in with the lot of Christians and say, we have failed you, God. Isn't it more, isn't it more common for us to say, they've failed you, God, not me. Save me, oh God, they've failed you, but I'm here. But this man, he, 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 he's one with his people and he yearns with the heart of God for his people to say, listen, we have failed you, oh God. We've done things that you've told us not to do. But even in the Old Testament, we, uh, a lot of times people who are reading mostly only the New Testament and see the New Testament only as the, te- as the testament of grace, do not see also the grace given in the Old Testament. But let's read further. In verse 8 again, But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by our Lord to leave us a remnant. Oh, this grace of God that He gives. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within His holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery but has extended to us His steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you command by your servants, the prophets, saying the land that you are are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from from, from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, isn't God so good that he doesn't punish us as we deserve, church? I want to read that one again. So good. And after all that has come upon us, us, in verse 13, for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just. For we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, 
we are before you in our guilt. For none can stand before you because of this. You see, church, the people of God had mingled with the world and took their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, an abomination to God. We cannot commingle with the world, church. We cannot commingle with the world. This is still true. This is not just something that's written in the Old Testament, not true anymore today. As we hear in the New Testament, nothing, nothing can be left out of the law or the commands of God. Nothing. It is fulfilled in Christ, yes. But as we are in Christ, it is also that we are wrapped up in that fulfillment and we also acknowledge that it is right and good. Even Paul himself said... I am a sinner. When I looked into the law, I saw my own reflection and I saw that I wasn't good enough. And that's a huge paraphrase. We might say that's detestable. We, I, I would never do that. I, I, I wouldn't be so bad. I've never done that. They are miserably sinful people. What were they thinking doing what God didn't want them to do? Because we give, we give thought to the sin of others in pretense. It's as if we pretend that we aren't as bad or that we've never done anything so bad and that we never would. We think not enough about our own struggles and failures regarding sin if we think this way, church. We need to think of sin and consider it in our lives the way that God does. Does God like any sin in your life? Anybody? Have you found one sin that, that God said, that's a good one. You, you hold on to that one. Anybody? One. Even one? To break one of the commands of or laws of God is to break them all. Listen to James chapter 2 and verse 8. 8 through 10. Listen to what he says. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, in one point has become guilty of all of it. Hmm. What might this look like in your life? Now, to be sure, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list of sins, okay? But there are quite a few verses in Scripture that deal directly with them, calling them out by name so that we aren't under any sort of veil, uh, darkening our eyes and hearts from seeing them for what they are. The Lord wants us to, to, to know what they are, that He wants to be plain with us, and in fact, He is plain with us regarding what He despises. I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 20. Now, we should be familiar with this. Now, these are the Ten Commandments. Oh, I just want to read this to you. It, it, it bears reminder sometimes, doesn't it? In verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And for those who are wondering, the Sabbath is a Saturday. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Woo! I wish I would have known that one growing up, baby. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Verse 13, you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Isn't it amazing that the ministers of God, when everybody wants to shrink back and draw back and get far, far away, that the minister of God, Moses himself, he goes into the fray. Church, I pray that we would all be such uh, or just like Moses. All of us, men, women, and children alike, that we would run into the fray whether it's smoking or not, whether the mountains are quaking and the earth is shaking or not, that we would run into it knowing that our God is there calling us to trouble, that we would be that help in times of need. When your God is speaking, should you walk away and just ask to talk to a man? I'd rather talk to the man. I don't want to talk to God. Or would you rather talk to God himself? This is the Christian life. That the veil has been torn. That no longer is God hovering in a Shekinah glory cloud in the Holy of Holies over the, 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 over the, the covenant box, over the mercy seat. No longer is he separated out from his people where only one man can enter one time a year. Now the veil has been torn and God is among his people, in his people, through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is with you, church. God is with you. Run to him.
Because as we read in Ezra 9, we are not forsaken in God. To go even further, Jesus calls us, further than the Ten Commandments, Jesus calls us to an even higher law, doesn't he? That tells us that, that we've, uh, we've heard it said not to murder, but we shouldn't hate in our hearts. Jesus says that. Now what do we see all over this world right now, church? We see hate in the heart. I've never killed anybody. I never killed anybody. I'm not as bad as him. Do you have hate in your heart? Because then that means you are. And Jesus also said that we've heard that we shouldn't commit adultery. But actually, we shouldn't even have lust in our hearts. Oh, I've never cheated. I've never cheated. I'm not as bad as them. If you've had lust in your heart, then you are. I don't want us, I don't want us to minimize our own unfaithfulness before God. I want us to be in, 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 in the light, to have the veil lifted, to be living in reality. Church, I want us all to see that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God and Jesus Christ that by his grace we're saved if we come to Jesus. And those sins that we have committed, we are forgiven those sins. Because God does not repay our iniquities as we deserve. Because we are not forsaken in Christ. You see, we learn through Jesus that the commandments of God are not just outward acts. They're not just outward acts that we undertake with our lives, but an inward condition of the heart that we should take hold of and cast at the feet of Jesus so that we don't follow through with the acts of sin in the flesh. Now, a quick search on the web from a great little uh, search uh, engine for Bible stuff is called gotquestions.org. Has anybody ever heard of that? It's good. Um, several of uh, people that I know that are, that are, that are Bible studiers use that. And it, it's, it's a good little tool. It's a great site for, for finding quick and well-written answers regarding the scriptures and the Christian faith. And it tells us that Jewish rabbis say that there are 613 laws in the Torah, in the books of Moses. 613. So not just 10 commandments, but 613 laws. And of those, 365 are in the thou shalt not category. Do not do this. 365. Now, that's a bunch of stuff. I'm going to go ahead and list all of those out for you right now. Kidding. Kidding. <laughs> bunch of stuff. I, you know, I'm not going to give you that entire list, but you can read those in your own personal study time if you wish. But I do want to read some verses in the New Testament that tell us what God thinks of things that we undertake on a daily basis that will hopefully lead us to the place that God wants us to be, that we would know the truth, that that truth would set us free. Remember in the passage from Exodus in, in verse 20, the fear of the Lord should be before us so that we don't sin. That's what he says. The fear of the Lord should be before us so that we don't sin. The Psalms and the Proverbs tell us, and I've said this over and over again, I'll say it over and over again, that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
the fear of the Lord should be before us that we do not sin. So it's good to know what we should and should not do in our efforts to live holy lives before God to the best of our ability, knowing also that the grace of God covers us because we cannot be perfect. Do you know that? I think some of y'all may be aware that you can't be perfect. Anybody? Oh, I'm so aware of that. I'm so blatantly aware that I cannot be perfect. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I have literally screamed out at the top of my lungs before. I hate this sin. Why? Why would I do that? The same reason Ezra tore his garment hair from his head and his beard because he hates sin because the spirit of God is in him because we must be separated out and divorced from the world because we love God so much but this this dang old stinking flesh that we got to deal with isn't it going to be so good when we're in glory we won't have to worry about that no more anybody huh we get an amen church huh that's a good spot. That's a good spot. Mm. Mm. The grace of God covers us and calls us to confess, calls us to repent, to turn back to him when we get caught up in sin. And it's important to know in the context of the Ezra passage that we cannot possibly get caught up in the lie that tries to convince us that we are any better off than anyone else regarding our own sin because one sin is still falling short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul illuminates the truth about the law for us to break one command is to break them all. He says uh, to, to try and live by the law also, he says, means that we are still living under the curse. And it also means that, that we must live perfectly, which we cannot do. You want to try to live by the law? Try it. You will fail. We cannot do it. This is why we need Jesus so desperately. They had sacrifices in the Old Testament to offer for their own sin, right? We know that. Well, there was one final blood sacrifice for the atonement of the sin of everyone who would place their faith in Jesus Christ. And that is Jesus Christ himself. He was the last blood sacrifice. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the lamb of God, the spotless one that takes away our sin. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, listen to this. We're going to go down through verse 14 here. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. So justification has never happened by the law. Anyway, it's never happened through the law. It's always been faith. And preceding faith, preceding even the chance to believe and be obedient to God is what? Grace. Grace has always existed. It has always, it preceded the law. Because... Hey, God didn't strike dead every single person who sinned on this earth as soon as they sinned. What did he do? He gave them grace. He had grace on them to confess their sin, to repent, to offer sacrifice. And now in Christ, that sacrifice has been offered. We confess and we repent. We are forgiven. 
we walk with God. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them all shall live by them. I don't want to live by the law. I want to live by Jesus. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, verse 13, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In Galatians 3 and 23, listen to this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. What does that mean that it would be our guardian? Well, it gave us a guideline. It was our guardian. It held us in check. It was our accountability. God said, don't do this. I'm not going to do it. It was our guardian. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith and daughters For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Mm. That's some shouting words, man. Golly, that's good. Now, what are some of these things put plainly for us in the New Testament? What are some of these sins? What are some of these things we're not supposed to do? I want to read a short passage for you, and and I want for us to look also at the freedom that the Apostle Paul offers us in Christ. Um, He offers us insight into the heavenly truth about God that separates out the people of God from the people of the world through faith in Jesus Christ and walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us insight and the key to combating the desires of the flesh. The power of the Holy Spirit, church, is great power. Why is it great? Because it's the power of God himself. Because the Holy Spirit is the third person in our triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God together as one. The power of the Holy Spirit, great power. It's power to live by. He is power to live by so that we don't give in to the desires of the flesh. Listen to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, man, that's simple, huh? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. How easy is that, though? Oh, right? Sometimes we're like, oh, man, golly. Why can't I just get it right? But God gives you grace. He's sharpening you. He's refining you. He's refining you. Listen to this. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Against, church, the Spirit of God. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now the things you want to do in the flesh, that is. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
Listen to this little list. Sexual immorality. Now, what is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality, sexual immorality, homosexuality, pornography, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, adultery, lust, all that stuff. Sexual immorality, okay? Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit... Now this is where he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what is walking by the Spirit? What does that look like? What does... Okay, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's one. That's, that's one. That's number one. The fruit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And if there is no law, then that's what it means to really be free, church. That when you are walking in the Spirit, He produces in you such fruitfulness as these things. And when you are walking in the Spirit, you are completely free. Now that is an amazing truth. An amazing truth that we can hold on to and grab on to for eternity and know that is ours because according to the Bible, we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. We are the promised ones of Abraham. I want to read those again, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is a very provocative culture we live in today, isn't it? Man, people want to provoke each other all over the place. Just want to stoke that fire, baby. Stoke it. Let it burn. Man, I want to make, I'm going to say something's going to get you all wrapped up in it. You know, that's the way it is right now. It's the way it is. Don't fall for it. Don't get wrapped up in it. Remember, don't commingle with the world. Don't do those things. And I want to make something clear to you as well. In um, verse 21, Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about all those different kinds of sin. We hear also the same kind of language in the book of Revelation. We hear it in several places in Scripture. What is this referring to? So does this mean if I commit a sin like this that I cannot inherit the kingdom? Is that what it's saying at its root? In Christ, we identify ourselves as Christians in Christ. Amen? In the world, the world will identify themselves by these things. 
They are not wrapped up in Christ. They are not identified in Christ. That is not their identity. They are not Christian by identity. They are not Christian by adoption. They are not Christian by birth. In other words, they identify their entire lives by this. They say, I am this X. This is who I am. In Christ, we say, I am in Christ. I am Christian. Little Christ, this is who I am. And if I commit a sin in Christ, I can confess that sin and repent of that sin, and I will be forgiven because that is the truth of the gospel of grace. That those who belong to Christ will always return to Christ. We will always come back. We will always confess. We will always repent. We will always want His forgiveness. We do not identify ourselves by our sin. Instead, we identify ourselves by the one who took sin from us. So what it's not saying is that if you ever commit one of these, you got no chance. What it means is, if you, this is who you are, in and through, if that's you, without Christ, you're doomed. But if you're wrapped up in Christ and you commit one of these, you have to confess and repent. And that in itself, in a nutshell, wraps you up in Christ because it identifies you as one of his who says, Lord, I failed you. Lord, I failed you. I failed you, Lord. Please, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned, Lord, and I'm a sinner. This is who we are in Christ, church. We will always come back to the Lord. Always. Always come back. Amen? Don't identify yourself with the world, church. Identify yourself with Christ, in Christ. Because if we live in the Spirit, we live in freedom. Do we like freedom here in America? Do we? Man, we live in Texas, y'all. I was driving through a neighborhood the other day in Ingleside. I think for about about 20 houses that I've passed by, because I'm like all about landscaping right now, and gardening and stuff, and I'm like going and I'm seeing what people are doing in their yards and stuff, trying to see, see what they're doing, get ideas and get inspiration and things like this, you know. I was like, well, I'm definitely inspired by all these American flags everywhere. Everybody's got an American flag up. Why? Because it's a symbol of freedom for us. Because it's a symbol of where we live and what we've been given by God. It was y'all's neighborhood, by the way. Because <laughs> I was at their house. We love freedom here, don't we? Shouldn't that. I mean, God is calling us to freedom. It is a godly ideal to be free. Before it's an American ideal, it's God's ideal. Before it's an American privilege, it's God's promise for those in Christ. That if we walk by the Spirit, we live free. Because against such things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, before those, that's freedom. If we walk by those things, against such things, there is no law. That's freedom. So you really want to be free? Don't just live in America. Live in Christ.
I want you to see this morning, church, that when you live by the flesh and you live to gratify your desires and do what your flesh wants you to do, that you place yourself back in chains. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. I don't want it for us. Many people the world over think that they are living freely by doing whatever it is that they want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm free. I'm going to do what I want to do. Mm, That's not freedom. That's chains. Let me tell you something, church. I know about that life. And I ain't going back. It's not freedom. It's slavery. And that slavery only has one master. And he is the devil. He is the enemy of God. I'm here this morning, church, to call you out of your flesh and into the heart of God to walk by the Spirit of God so that you would live freely in the grace of God, which the world cannot destroy. Did you know that after November 3rd, 2020, that God's grace will still exist? Did you know that? Did you know that after November 3rd, 2020, that Jesus Christ is still going to be on the throne? Did you know that? Some people don't know that, baby. Some people are like, oh, my gosh. Every election cycle, every election cycle, they tell you this is the most important election of our lifetime. This is the most important one. Y'all, we have lived. We have lived through all kinds of evil in this world. The church has. And guess what? The gospel made it all the way to a Ramses Pass. And we're still preaching it. And we won't ever stop. Amen? I want freedom for you, church. I want you to be free and to live free. I want freedom from condemnation for you. Freedom from the curse. Freedom from working to be good enough for God, to get to God. Freedom from trying to make up to God what you've made wrong in your life. I want you to be really free. I want you to walk by the Spirit. Because... Walking by the Spirit is true freedom. And one of the main components in the freedom of God is to know that you are not alone in the struggles in your life. You're not alone. I'm with you. You're not alone in your struggle, church. I'm with you. We are with you. All of us here are in this together. Together. We're not just individuals living little individual lives that affect nobody but our own selves. We all affect one another. Think about this coronavirus, man. It got out of a lab in Wuhan, right? China, that's what they think. I don't know. We get all kinds of information. I don't know who to believe anymore, so I don't believe nobody. Right? But that should show us how connected we are as a people. That from China to the United States... We cannot possibly think that we are in this alone. Because even a virus can draw us all in together in some way. Everybody infected by something. Ooh, baby, let's all get infected with the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. You need someone to lean on in this life, church. You need somebody to lean on. Lean on Jesus Christ who has the power to set you free. If you need someone to lean on in your physical life now, then lean on me, church. Lean on your spouse. Lean on your family. Lean on this church. Lean on one another. But don't lean on the world. 
Don't commingle with it. Don't do it. Don't get caught up in it. They want to take you down. They want to take us all down. Don't do it. It's lies. You need someone to lean on, lean on this church and on the Christian, on all the Christians in this world, because we are here to help in times of distress. I want you to just listen to the Apostle Paul and his own struggle. Romans 7, starting in verse 9. This is one of those passages, by the way, that really brings me peace. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. So when he didn't know the law, he was living, uh, when he didn't know the law, he was living under the guise of the world, cut off, not knowing that he was guilty of sin through the law. But once he saw the law, he recognized his own sinfulness. This is just like the world, isn't it? They don't believe that the things that they do are wrong because they think that they're free. The world thinks it's free living in, in, in some kind of freedom, but it's a guise, it's a ruse. It's deceitful. But once the law was revealed to Paul, he realized that he was guilty. All it took was a simple reading of the words and he at once found himself guilty. At once. My son the other day, he had on a brand new shirt, right? Had on a brand new shirt. My wife had just gotten him. And he put on a zip up because it was kind of cold here, right? Wasn't that nice? Jeez. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Right? He put on this zip up hoodie thing. He came to me and said, Dad, my, my, my zippers doesn't want to go down. It doesn't want to go down, Dad. He's eight. Okay? And I said, oh, yeah, you just got to kind of separate your shirt from your, from your deal there. And so he did. And I said, oh, man, I knew it right away. Man, I should have done that for him. I've done that time and time again. Y'all done that, right? You got your shirt stuck in your zipper? How many of y'all tore your shirt? You might have at the beginning, now it's not so easy to tear the shirt. Now you kind of got your little, you, you know, you know how to finagle it a little bit. Because you've been taught, you've seen, you've been told, you've learned. My son ain't learned that. Bam! Hole this big. Size of a quarter in that shirt. Morgan's like, oh, Elijah, I just got you that shirt. And I'm thinking, well, listen, baby, you didn't know I hadn't taught you. You didn't know that the way you pulled it apart like that real fast, you, know, you can't do that. That's not what I meant. I know what I meant. He didn't know. He'd never been told, never been taught. Right? Now he knows, though. He's still going to get it wrong, though, right? Because even though we know, we still can... This is what Paul's saying about the law. He, he didn't know. But then once he learned, he realized he was wrong. He had done the wrong thing. He realized he was guilty of it. Y'all, how do we know if we're not taught? How do we know? Before the law was revealed to him, he realized that he was, or once the law was revealed to Paul, he realized he was guilty. All it took was the simple reading of the words. 
And this is probably the way that many of you feel when, when, when I read things to you that God says are sinful, you probably feel guilty. Right? Some of y'all, when I read certain Bible verses, you're like, oh, that one hurt. You sink a little bit. Right? Maybe a tear comes down. You shed some tear. Maybe you get a little sad. Because when the reading of God's word happens, it does something to us, doesn't it? Because God convicts of sin. That is a mark of the Christian. That is a mark of the spirit at work in your heart. We probably feel guilty the way Ezra felt guilty. He tore his clothing. He pulled out hair from his head, from his beard. Man, from his beard? That hurts, y'all. You know it. Right? Even just the arm hurts. The beard? He tore his clothing, pulled out his hair because of the guilt and shame that was brought on through the law. Paul says he was deceived by sin. He was deceived by sin and it killed him. He, he was dead because of it, walking and talking, breathing and living as a dead man on his feet. This is us. But realizing that it, it was revealing the guilt within him, he became alive in Christ through the grace and forgiveness offered through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is us. Jesus bore the punishment that Paul deserved. And let me tell you something. Let me give you a little good news here today, church. Jesus Christ bore the punishment we deserved. You and me. It was because of the law that Paul was able to recognize how guilty he was. And I pray that all of our families would be so blessed as to realize their need for God and his forgiveness. And he goes on to discover and to tell us something that we've probably felt all along as well. And it's so freeing to hear. Listen to Romans 7, 14 through 25. So this goes down a little bit further. 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now, now I hope, let me, let, me, let me just stop real quick. Now, I hope that what we read here is, is slave language. It's a slave language Paul using. The language and reality of being bought and sold. This is slave language. Being of the flesh, he is sold under sin. He is not his own. He has no control over his own body, his own mind to do what's right. He is sold under sin. Again, verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, why? Because he has been sold, church. The enemy sold him out and he is out of control. Does that sound familiar? That you want to do what's right, but you end up doing the very thing you hate. I hope it does. I hope it sounds familiar because he's not only talking about him, he's talking about us all. Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. In other words, if I don't want to do it, then that means the law is good because it's producing something good in me because I don't want to do what's wrong, what God hates. I don't want to do it. Do you want to do what's wrong, church? Do you want to do what's wrong? Then that means, this is 16th for you then. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. Now, what he's saying here is that the law is good to show him that he isn't any good apart from Christ. This is what the law reveals in us. It's what he's discovered and what we need to discover. It's that we need Jesus. We need him. We aren't good enough on our own. That's a doctrine of total depravity, that we are depraved, all of us. 
that we have no ability to choose God in and of our own volition. It takes a work of God, a supernatural work, to cause us to come to Him. He has to call. The Father calls, according to John 6, gives us over into the hand of the Son when we come. Verse 17, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So he's now he's making a distinction between his spiritual life. Now he notice he says now in verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's making a distinction. So he's making that distinction between life before Christ and life in Christ. And in this new life, which knows that the law is good and shows him his sin, it's the life of the Christian which wants different things than our flesh wants. That is your life now in Christ. His flesh, Paul's is, just like ours, is divorced from his spiritual life in the way that it operates. The desire of the flesh is strong desire, church, and it is part of the curse of God that threw us out of the Garden of Eden at the beginning and made us live in this world that is fallen and destined for destruction. That desire is called the sin nature, the sinful nature, Because the Bible said that we are from the loins of Adam, which means that we have his sinful nature in us. That our very nature causes us to want to sin in our flesh. So we have to have someone come in and help us because in and of ourselves we will choose sin. But when God does a supernatural work in us, we no longer want to sin. We now want to do what's right. We want to do what God loves. But the heart in Christ will always, will always guide us to want what's good. And these are at odds. And this is the battle we fight between the sin nature or the flesh and the Spirit of God. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. He's still making the distinction, church, between his flesh and the Spirit. For I have the desire to do what is right. That is his Spirit. That is the Spirit of God alive in him. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Is the Lord talking to anybody in here today, church? Verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh God, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Tell me if that doesn't set you free. That's the apostle. Sometimes I just call him the apostle because we all know who we're talking about. Several apostles. The church planter himself. The one who calls us out of sin. Telling us that he has a struggle with it himself. I'm here to tell you today, church, that you don't need to live in shame. You were not built to live in shame, church. You were built to live in Christ, in freedom. 
You don't need to live with the guilt of your own sin weighing you down. You need to live with Christ who calls you to freedom in His name. He's calling you out of your work and into His rest. He's calling you to live and walk by the Spirit of the Lord that is the freedom of God. He's calling you to be fruitful servants of the Most High God. Again, Galatians 5:22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And why? Why or how have we crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? Well, we've done it through Jesus Christ. He provided that sacrifice for sin. He was crucified and punished for the sin of those who would believe. When we are wrapped up in Christ because we believe in Him, then we have given over our sin it has been taken from our ledger and our debt to god has been forgiven the slate has been wiped clean he paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow verse 25 if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited Provoking one another, envying one another. Live for Christ, die for Christ. For to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we love you. Father, wash us white as snow, oh God. Clean us up, oh God, and we need you. Help us, Lord, to live in freedom, walking by the Spirit. Help us, O God, to pick up our brothers and sisters who have fallen and walk with them, Lord, into your glorious light. God, help us to use this life in your kingdom as an opportunity to serve you with our entire lives. Cause us, O God, to love you more now than we ever have. To love our brothers and sisters more now than we ever have. Even, Lord, to love those who persecute us. Help us to call more to you. Help us to tell the world about you. In Jesus' name, amen.